0: highland intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com what's the easiest choice you can make window instead of middle seat picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket outsourcing business tasks you hate what about selling with shopify
2: We're talking top 10 prospects in baseball today on the call up. He's Jack McMullen. I'm RM Layton. This is the final installment of our three part episode. I would say of the end of season top 100 update. Jack as we finally kind of closed out the 2023 top 100 breakdown, all that good stuff and can shift our focus to 2024. Obviously these are going to be the top prospects going into 2024, but I thought that this was a fun shuffle from where we were at the midseason because I wasn't sure how much was going to change. Most of the guys that were in the top 10 at the preseason or at the open of the year graduated. And then at the midseason update, a lot of those guys weren't going to graduate in time. But we still had some shuffling because some guys really balled out, man.
1: Yeah. I mean, you had guys that. Were amazing in double A AA and triple A when they had no business being in triple A. You had some guys that performed really well in their first taste of big league ball. Um, and then there are a couple draft guys here that are, are snuck in that you know y- you do have to factor in what they did to open pro ball and they performed pretty well or they didn't necessarily po- perform well and that may slide them a couple spots. So there was
2: enough movement in the top 10 to make this worthwhile no doubt and and i wanted to just highlight to to your point some of the guys that may have fell out of the top 10 like jackson merrill for example yeah he falls quote unquote to 11 for no reason of jackson merrill's (laughs) jackson merrill played very well and very much honestly just maintained his position What happened is somebody else took it from him. And we're going to get into that in a second. But I wanted to highlight Merrill because he checks in at 11 on the list. And again, check out the link in the episode description. If you're on YouTube, just search MLB Top Prospects. Pretty cool. I think we're second on search right now, which is very awesome. I owe that to all you listening who click on that and maybe a little bit of SEO luck. But I'm trying to remember if anyone else specifically Adel Amador is one other one that he was in the top 10. He slipped out again, partly because of what. I think what guys have done to force their way in there. And then also he was banged up in the end of the season, came back off the IL and got thrown right into double A. My perspective on him hasn't changed. We talked about in the last episode, the Rockies prospect is, you know, my number one and your number one hit tool guy in the minors. But right now, given what some of these other guys have done and the upside that they've shown, I just think that they're ahead of him. If we're talking about trade value in terms of what front offices, what teams probably value these guys at, Amador probably closer to 15 than 10 with these other guys kind of forcing their way in here after the draft.
1: Yeah. It's a home run hitting league and Amador, unfortunately can't showcase that in Hartford. And he probably won't showcase that as much as some other guys in the top 10. Like he is, he's incredibly valuable in his own unique way. Um, but what he provides in terms of value in today's game is not top five prospect. Yeah. worthy. Um, he was nine. But if there's another guy that shows immense value in the iteration of today's game, they probably jump him and, and shove him
2: down a little bit. 100 percent. And I'm totally with you on that. And and that's the pressure of that kind of profile. You got you got to really be able to hit and you, you have have believe you hit can hit 300. And he can, and I think he will, uh, but you got to do it. And you got to start to show it at the upper levels because there's not as much, you can't dream on hit tool as much. You got to, you got to kind of see it. That's a very results-based type of profile.
1: Yeah. And I mean, gold standard is a rise, obviously, but a rise is to the extreme because he can hit 400. He can hit yeah. 380. Quan I think is the better example where Quan hit 300 his rookie year. He looked like one of the more valuable rookies in all of baseball because he can also play a gold glove left field, but you know, he hit 300 and had something like a 105-110 WRC plus. Yeah, that typically isn't the case with a guy that hits 20 homers. I'm not saying Amador is Quan because Amador has more power in the tank yeah. than Stephen Kwan does. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, if Amador hits two, pardon, hits 275-280 over the course of a given season,
2: chances are his WRC plus is under 100. Yeah, or like 105. To your point, like yeah. it's it's gonna. And and that's the thing too. I want to see the walks, and that helps a lot too. Um, yeah. But to your point, the margin for error is thinner. So that's that's basically what it boils down to. But I'm excited to see how how he continues to progress, and I think he's going to bounce back in a big way after a somewhat sluggish finish. I thought he might be a fall league guy, but I think they've seen enough. They they're not worried about you know the way he finished. So let's jump right into the top ten. But before we do that, also uh, check out Arizona Fall League. Speaking of just did a little check-in on some of the best players out there and just some of the guys that are performing the best, several top 100 guys, uh, several guys that maybe weren't on your radar. So kind of a little bit of everything that article is linked in the episode description as well. Uh, Arizona fall league check-in who's performing is what it's called. And uh, definitely go check that out. I had fun putting that together. I'm going to continue to do that and I'm going to do an in-person breakdown and stuff like that when I get out there in a little over a week, but Into this top 10, Jack, we're going to share the screen here as well, as we always do when we go through these write-ups. And number 10 is Walker Jenkins, outfielder with the Minnesota Twins. And number five overall pick in 2023. This guy was just selected. And I I, I feel like you cannot use the term like fell or steal when we talk about uh, someone selected in the top five. But with Wyatt Langford, who we'll get to in a minute, that was kind of felt like the case. And then the, just the domino effect of, oh, wow. Well, now Jenkins is going to go five in terms of value like that. That is as exciting a value as you're going to get, because I thought Jenkins and some other drafts, you could make a one one case. And I think even if, if he was in that crop of holiday Tamar, you know, where it was one of those situations where it was a bunch of high school guys. And we didn't know who was going to go one. I thought Jenkins could have easily been in that conversation as well in terms of just what he was looking like out of high school. And I told you the first time I watched this guy on video, the first time I was able to do the dive, I'm like, this guy is, is different. He's got something going on offensively. The swing is just further along. There's just something that stands out really, uh, I would say apart from a lot of other high schoolers I've seen period. And we get our first taste of pro ball, man. He exceeds that. And then some, I mean, I, I was so bought in before he debuted and now I'm like, how can I be more bought in? I somehow am, but it's amazing what this guy flashed across the board.
1: I just I love when guys have more RBIs than punch outs when they're a power <laughs> bat. There's something about the aesthetic of that, and that's exactly what he did. I think you combine his complex numbers and his numbers in Fort Myers with the – they were the miracle. I think they are now the mighty muscles, the Fort Myers mighty muscles. I think that that sounds right which stinks, but Walker Jenkins is a mighty muscle. Um, you combine his numbers in low A and the complex, and this guy was something like 22 ribbies and 14 punch outs. That's amazing. And the OBP yeah. was at 420. The thing that jumped out to me was when this guy got to low A, which was his longer sample than the one at the complex, I I went portal diving. I was like, okay, how does this guy do left on left? Because he's a big, long, left-handed hitter. He was eight for 13 against left-handed pitching. Yeah. There are very few holes to poke in an 18-year-old high school outfielder
2: that was drafted three months ago, four months ago. Yeah. I mean, that's the even crazier part is, yeah, small sample size. But like you're saying, I looked right at every bat I could look at so far professionally. And the comfort left on left was palpable. I mean, this is just a really athletic dude that – Knows his body really well. I talked about some of the similarities to Manzardo in the way that you know he kind of just gets his swing off consistently, likes to get into it, pull side, but can still drive it the other way, and just stays on everything. You mentioned left on left, breaking ball that looks like it's starting at its hi- at his hip. He seems to stay on it. He just trusts his hands. He trusts his body, and he's extremely extremely athletic for a guy that's as big and strong as he is, and and that's what stands out to me as well is. I think there's more power in the tank. And we talk about the Florida state league and just being in that environment. It's hard for the power to shine through. We saw three homers, a couple of those, you know, a couple of the extra base hits came in the complex, all that good stuff. None of those places are great to hit, but he had four triples, five doubles and just compiled hits. Like that was what was so remarkable to me is that it just seems so easy for him. And he's still just scraping the surface of, of who he's going to be. It's plus run. It's I think eventually plus power. You can clearly see the plus hit and it's a small sample, but 90 percent zone contact like in that span. And again, just look at the swing. It absolutely plays. Um, This guy's got five tool potential while also having, you know, a high floor and the ability to potentially stick in center or play an elite corner. I think he's going to climb quickly, man, especially for a high school bat. And I think he's very quickly going to be a candidate for, you know, number one or, or top three prospect in baseball, because you look at the names ahead that we're going to talk about, many of which will graduate. I think Jenkins will have his moment as the number one prospect in baseball. At some point,
1: he is the only guy in the lower minors. You have a 19 year old in double a and two 19 year olds in triple a shocker. I'm sure you guys know who those two names are, but he is the only lower level guy within the top 10. And I, I, you know, keep scrolling. And I look at, all right, the lower level guys that could still be around after all these guys graduate. And I get to a Colson Montgomery who got to double a, I look at a Cole young or Tamar Johnson, a Max Clark, a Samuel Basayo, who's already in double a, by the way, like,
2: I don't know. I just, at this point you take Jenkins over all of them. Yeah. And because again, the blend, the floor and the upside. Yeah. I, I'm really excited about him. And I think the twins have to be amped with where they're at as an organization. And then to also be able to get him, you know, in this draft, similar to the Rangers, another team. They're still doing damage in in the playoffs. And they were able to get a guy that we're going to talk about in a little bit. So very excited about Jenkins. And, you know, the last thing I'll say is I don't like to rank draft guys high until I get a good sample, because I always think that draft guys get overrated based on high school, especially high school guys get overrated based on on the draft reports based on yeah. i think we just get very excited about how they compare relative to their draft peers and then when we try to stack them up against professionals you know and now the other top prospects in the game it's always weird and i always feel like they end up being lined up a little bit higher than they should be I, this was one of those examples where i i just bought in with 25 games i was bought in before so uh, I right. can't wait for a full season for him next year, where I assume he'll either be low A and then quick push to high A or high A immediately.
1: Yeah, I, I would assume low A and a quick push to high A. Last thing on Walker Jenkins, this guy has a big league physique at 18 years old.
2: He's yeah. a carved 6'3", He does not look like he's 18. Which no, is, he looks and 25. He, and it's it's wild. Next up is another really young and just dynamic and exciting player. It's Roman Anthony, outfielder in the Boston Red Sox organization and this guy was awesome. I <laughs> just I would say and it was probably one of the superlatives we could have done. Jack was like breakout, you know, biggest mm-hmm. breakout prospect and breakouts relative because you could be a non-prospect and then break out to fringe top 100 or you could be a fringe top 100 guy and break out to the top 10. I think no matter how you try to compare it, I don't know if anybody's going to have a more incredible breakout than Roman Anthony, because Roman Anthony wasn't on any top 100 list coming into this year. I wouldn't even say it was fringe. I think he was a well-regarded prospect. People were very excited about him. I definitely liked a lot of the underlying stuff that I saw, the athleticism, all that good stuff, but he goes from that to, you know, somebody that was in the top 30 in our mid season update and then top 10 by this end of season update. Yeah. You can go through the numbers though, man. Like it, it, it's pretty wild. And we talked about it last episode. So not don't have to rehash it too much, but about how guys like Anthony who are extremely selective, you know, run a chase rate below 20% and yeah. they're going to benefit from better pitching and better strike zones. And we saw him go nuts in double a and even saw him get comfortable in high a as he started to feel out the zone. But I mean, it's it's plus power already. I think the potential for plus plus raw or like plus and a half above-average runner, above-average field of hit, ability to stick in center, left-handed bat. He's 6'3", 200 as well. Talk about another imposing 19-year-old. I mean, it's hard to poke a hole in this kid's game. It it
1: is. And speaking to your point, like he was not that good in low A for the first 42 games of this season. He OPSed under 700. Now he wasn't seeing very many pitches, and he was getting on base a ton. He had 38 walks and 38 punch-outs in 42 games. But this guy slashed 228, 376, 317. (laughs) There's a lot to unpack in that slash line in all three phases. And I'm going to save you unpacking it bit by bit, but it's way lower batting average than it should be. That's an 150-point jump from batting average to OBP. And then he's not slugging pretty much at all. He had one homer in 42 games. But then he goes to Greenville and he slashes 294, 412, 569. And 12 of his 14 homers came in a 54 game stretch in high A. And then he finished the year in double A across 10 games and OPS over a thousand. He got better as he leveled up. Yeah. He was not good in low A in 22 either. So maybe it was just like a hey, he's seeing bad, inexperienced pitching. He's not gonna look good because he's selective yeah. and he's gonna I mean, get
2: burned. It was. That's exactly what it was too, because in that spur, how many games was it in in Low A to start in the year? Forty two games this year, and then ten games in twenty two. So in the forty two games this year in Low A, I mean, he was running a chase rate of seventeen percent. So like when you're looking at it through that lens, it's like okay, he's not chasing, but you know that might almost come back to bite you. And and we saw it with Emmanuel Rodriguez at points too, where he was just passive over over patient, and again it played up better for him because I didn't think he was being that passive. I honestly thought he was just getting hosed quite often on some calls. And then the big thing for Roman Anthony was getting himself to a point where he can find a way to consistently hit the ball in the air. Ground ball rate was always high for him. He hit the ball hard, but it was on the ground. And he finally cleaned up some things to be able to leverage his, his long longer levers and, and, and big body to be able to drive the ball in the air more and clean up the path. And that's exactly what he did. So after having like a 51% ground ball rate, at the lower levels, cut that down to the mid forties at the upper levels or at the, you know, when he was promoted from there and then also just had the better overall approach. So I think it was a balance of kind of being a little bit more aggressive because the chase rate jumps a little or just the overall swing rate jumps a couple ticks, but still extremely patient. And then also driving the ball in the air. I think those two things were huge for him. And what really stands out to me is How many of those home runs, like they weren't cheap shots. There was a few monster sneakers that like got over there, but but he's a left handed bat bat going the other way over the monster. And he's going to do that a ton at Fenway. He goes the other way with authority. He'll pepper the wall and he'll be one of those guys that I think really benefits from those low expected batting average. Like, you know, flares the other way that still go 330 and hit the wall. He's going to hit his bombs pull side and he's going to hit his bombs over the monster. But I think he's a guy that that really plays well in Fenway and still is just scraping the surface of what I think could be 30 home run power. So special ability out there. And then what stood out to me and what kind of forced him into the top 10 was the defense. When I saw that this guy can stick in center and I thought moved really well out there. That's where I'm like, okay, this profile in center field, man. I mean, that's that's a special player if it all works out the way we think it can.
1: So the thing that kind of got me around on him fully is like a top 10 guy because, you know, like the, the numbers are really good. The numbers are top 50, but there are guys in the 11 to 50 range with better seasons than what Roman Anthony put together. But some of the videos that you were sending and some of the videos that I would see on Twitter were like they were swings that just shouldn't result in hard contact, yep. but do. And yep. it's it, to, to, Like, I'm going to pump the brakes, but I'm going to say something that Red Sox fans, maybe their ears perk up. It's a little bit of the Devers flavor. Now, Devers puts amazing swings on terrible pitches. Like, he's the guy to wrap an eye-high fastball around Pesky's pole and right. That's not Anthony because he's not going to swing at those pitches. But there are pitches on the upper inside corner on the black that nobody should be able to get their hands in on, but he can. Yeah. He's kind of a freak athlete in that regard, and he can get great contact on pitches that are are clear wins by
2: opposing pitchers. And I mean, that's the sign of a good hitter and that can be one of the most frustrating things and most difficult guys to, to try to get out. And also he goes the other way with ease. You mentioned turning around fastballs. I mean, that was something y- velocity he demolishes the breaking balls is something that he needs to continue to get better with that, pretty normal for young hitters that are a little bit longer, as we talked about last episode as well. He got better as the year went on. And the other side of it, too, is that it, you can kind of see it's it's a drift forward. Very common. You know, it leaves the back hit prematurely on the breaking balls, holds it better on the fastballs. I'm sure that'll get ironed out. We already saw this dude flash on 111, you know, in, in what was – I guess it would technically be his age 18 season, right? Or, I know it's kind of an age 19 season, but um, he was – He was 18 at the start of the season. I mean, that's pretty impressive stuff. So very excited about him. Second round pick, same high school as Kobe Mayo out in South Florida and Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. uh, Really, really talented, talented player that uh, I I think is going to climb pretty quick too. Yep. Next up, number eight, Paul Skeen's right-handed pitcher with the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. I mean – We've talked about Skeens. Everybody knows Skeens at this point, and not much has changed with Skeens because, at the time of the midseason update, he was shut down, and for good reason. I thought he threw more than enough in this last calendar year. Like I was hoping that they would shut him down at some point. But I mean, we can just rehash some of the important points of what makes him the best pitching prospect in baseball, which is you know a plus plus heater. I don't care about the shape. You always talked about it. Hundreds, a hundred, sure the shape could be a problem if he misses over the middle more. And, you know, if he doesn't have great command, but he spots and we saw that. So it's a fantastic fastball. The sliders we mentioned, superlative, arguably best breaking ball in the minor leagues, best breaking ball, potentially, you know, in the top 100 lists as we're talking about. And then the changeup, And I think that was something that stood out to me. We saw a few of them at the end of the collegiate season. Saw a few of them in pro ball. That pitch is pretty good. And that's a, it's a legitimate third offering that, Flash plus, if that becomes a consistent pitch for him, that three-pitch mix with plus command, I mean, he's just going to bully guys. It's it's just going to be that simple.
1: So I I am going to ask you to go a little bit deeper into the fastball. Everything we hear is, oh, the shape's bad. Like, whatever. I agree with you a 100, but Hunter Green's 100 gets hit more than some other guys 100. Is fastball shape actually a thing? Like, take me on the deep dive does it actually lack
2: shape his specifically yes yeah it's it's a weird shape like it it definitely lacks some of the design weird shape do you mean dead zone a little bit dead zone a little bit a little bit of that just like yeah it's you'd expect it to have more carry and expect it to get more whiffs at the top of the zone certain angles
1: certain camera angles make it look look like it's a gross two-seam sinker type thing.
2: It's a weird like, – so I have it right here. Like it's it's a little dead zony but it's almost – and it's funny because Max Meyer, it's in a different way. His is so dead zone that it actually drops. So it's like it's almost not dead zone. He gets a lot of ground balls on it, and it's like this weird outlier shape that qualifies as dead zone. For, for Skeens, it's 15 horizontal and – 11 vertical so to your point like that that is a little bit of sinker like two seam adjacency yeah so it's weird and and the reason why i'm not overly concerned about it is maybe he makes a small tweak and leans more into the two seam side of things uh maybe he can try to find a way to to get some more carry at the top I, i think the former is easier you know in terms of just getting more ground balls and having that be like a a hard running pitch you have the you know you have the 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 slider already, and then you can mix in dead zone fastballs at the top of the zone at a hundred, sure. and it, it'll work when you're wearing guys out with a hard fastball going the other way. But if I know that it's fastball one way and it's straight straight as an arrow, you know, then I'm going to feel a little bit more comfortable if I'm a hitter, I'm assuming, because you eliminate the slider, let him beat you with that, you assume he's not going to go to the change up, if he does, you tip your cap, and you try to get on a fastball and, and that's what I think people are afraid of. Everyone gave Hunter Green an 80, and that was the one thing when we were – that was the first top 100 list we put out, and I was like, I can't give it an 80. It doesn't play like an 80, and the shape isn't an 80. I think Paul Skeen's fastball plays better because he locates it better and because it's not as much of the traditional dead zone. It's got a little bit of that run to it, uh, and he uses that to his favor. So I I think it's a better fastball than Hunter Green's at this point, like when, when Hunter Green was a prospect. I think it's a better fastball than his. And he runs it up just as high, too. So it's a 70. It's not an 80. But I I do think it's a better pitch because it's just not that arrow, that straight arrow the same way. And he knows how to use that to his advantage a bit more. Where Hunter Green was just trying to throw an arrow right by you. Yeah, I just needed that put to bed because that is something that
1: so many people that – frankly like don't entirely understand the fastball shape argument will cite and it's like oh apparently the fastball shape's not great like it's good enough and i i think that he's the type of guy that could lean into the sinker type idea and you're not looking at gratterall where it's going to be no swings and misses you're looking at 100 with sink and paired with that slider and good sneaky change that can still result in 11 Ks per nine. It's not going to be 17 per nine or 16 per nine, like he busted out at LSU, but that's kind of a different beast. And he's seeing the best hitters that he's ever seen. Yeah. And that is what I want to cite with that double a start that he made. Was it double a debut where he kind of got hit around? I think it was double a debut. Yeah. I think it was a double a debut. Like it's going to happen. Too. You have to realize that each time he climbs a level, it's the best competition he's ever seen in his baseball career and he's relatively new to the full-time pitching thing definitely he's a physical anomaly at 6'6 250 he throws like a freak athlete he's got this short arm path that is it seems hyper athletic and it seems indestructible and obviously it's not indestructible because no pitchers are indestructible but this guy might be as close to that as as we get so the command is amazing the breaking ball is the best in the minor leagues that we talked about on wednesday he's
2: damn near flawless in my eyes yeah and that the last thing i'll say is you spurred a thought in my head with like sandy alcantara for example his his four seam fastball was a big reason why he was the cy young winner in 2022 and it's not a great shape fastball but his change-ups, his best pitch, and it was phenomenal. And he really used that like a sinker at 92. Uh, but he also had the sinker. And the yeah. sinker, again, like 98 miles an hour, didn't have the best shape in the world, but late run to it. And then he really just used it well and spotted it well. And then the shape got better and better, and it turned into a pretty nasty pitch. But there's a reason why he used that, that change-up as a power change is it had more movement than the sinker. It's apples to oranges in terms of the, the shape and the profile and, and, and what their arsenal looks like. But the point being like he was able to get whiffs at the top of the zone with a pretty mediocre shaped fastball because it was 98 and he located it. And he also had you worried about the bottom third of the zone with the sinker and the changeup. I still think Skeens can do that with the slider. You're still going to be worried about the bottom part of the zone because he spots it so well. And then the changeup is really developing. So, yeah, if he can have maybe two iterations of this fastball, that definitely makes things even better. But if he doesn't, I think it's got enough of the run to it and the ability to locate it that, yeah, is it is it going to be a, a big time with pitch? No, I don't think so. I don't think it's going to be this unbelievable, you know, like we're talking about the invisibles that we see from other guys or Spencer Strider just being able to overpower you. I don't think it's going to be like that, but it'll still work. <laughs> it'll work just fine. And I think it'll get a lot of weak contact, too. Yeah. Number seven, Dylan Cruz. Here's another. Uh, perspective I guess conversation that we're going to have in terms of just how do you evaluate how do you look at Dylan Cruz's season Um, I mean look this guy was the number two overall pick should very well have been the number one pick but we've talked about that ad nauseum you could go either way I think it's clear now that maybe Langford should have been the one 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 we got a lot of time to have that whole thing unfold but more importantly Cruz in a vacuum I thought it was a fine pro debut. I, like, I'll like. i ask you a question. Has your perspective changed on Dylan Cruz at all through his first, what was it, 35 professional baseball games?
1: Okay, so step by step, he played one game at the complex and he went three for three with a double. Then he played 14 games in low A. And slashed 355, 423, 645. And then he finished with 20 games in double A and he slashed 208, 318, 278. That's a 595 OPS. So the last 20 games of the season after he played 71 at LSU and played 15 at previous stops in the minor leagues. Yeah. He sucks. I'm out. <laughs> it's 20 games, man. Like he I, I heard It was great to chat with some Rochester people when they were in Indianapolis to end this season because they were likely anticipating Dylan Cruz to get to AAA because that was the hubbub about Cruz and Skeens. Langford got there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, is it disappointing that he's not here? And everybody said, dude, he's probably exhausted. And I agree. And. You know, you can make the counter argument and say, well, Lankford isn't exhausted. Clearly, Lankford might just be built different. (laughs) Yeah, he's a freak. I think anybody under the sun not named Wyatt Lankford is going to be really tired after what Dylan Cruz went through, where he was the biggest name in college baseball. He was doing media all the time. He put out, you know, he he tied a bow on arguably the greatest college career in SEC history think about that like he was better than Bregman he was better than dance B Swanson he was a better hitter than pretty much anybody that our generation has seen in college baseball the SEC and at the highest level of competition so you go from that you win a college world series you get drafted two overall you are constantly on flights you are constantly going around to like, it, it's you're never turning it off and this guy didn't turn it off from February until when he was done in September he yeah. was probably just exhausted. So my mind hasn't wavered on him at all. I think this guy's incredible. And I think he's going to hit the ground running in double A next year.
2: He's going to be in triple A and he's going to make a major league debut next year. And that's why he's the number seven prospect in baseball. And, and building off of what you mentioned there with the fatigue and things like that. He's a guy that really gets into his legs in the box. I, I, some of the most elite hip mobility I've seen, I mean, you look at the way he loads into his back hip and just the way he's able to get in there and like how much he is in his legs and his setup. I'm thinking of a guy, I'm like, dude, if you're tired, we talk about Christian Yelich all the time, right? And about how with that kind of swing, if your body's not right, you're not going to produce. And I thought that was a big reason why we saw the ebbs and flows of Yelich. And then with his body being right this year, you know, him being really good again the guys that really use their lower half and that really get into it and use mobility and energy in that swing. Yeah. You can run out of gas a little bit more at the end of the season. And I mean, there's so many guys that I've talked to that in that first pro season, usually it's the first full pro season because not all of them play as many games as Dylan Cruz did uh, because they don't all go to the college world series. But I mean, I've had more guys tell me than not that they are gassed at the end of the year. I absolutely gassed because it's just you're not used to playing more than 50 games or 60 games, let alone 100 and then 100 whatever. And forget the the psychological side of it as well. Cruz demolished velocity all year long in college. And I know velocity could be different from pro ball. We talk about shapes, but still catching up to velocity is catching up to velocity against 93 plus in a thousand OPS throughout the collegiate season. And that's including the pro Stint, so if he really took that away, I think he had over 1,100 OPS. Yeah, but if and- you just look at the, at the pro stint, he struggled against velocity down the stretch. And over his final 20 games against 93-plus, he had an OPS below 600. So from that lens, it's like, I just think he was tired. He was a tick slower. You don't trust it as much. You start cheating a little bit, and you start to get away from who you are. And I thought that's pretty much all that happened in that double-A stint because what I saw in a lot of the video – In college, a lot of video on low A, is a guy that has a plus field to hit, plus power, above average run, and the ability to stick in center field. That's an elite prospect, and that's exactly what I saw in his pro debut. The only concern I have is staying on sliders. That's Mm -hmm. something I saw in the college video, and I saw it in pro ball. And, of course, if you feel like you can't catch up to velocity, you're going to struggle to stay on sliders even more because you're trying to get there. You're trying to cheat a little bit, and I think that kind of played into the weakness a little bit in those 20 games with him being fresh and him being ready to go. That's the only thing I'm really watching is identifying spin and staying on it and not pulling off of it. Cause he could get in and out of the zone a little quick. That was the only thing. So that's a specific nitpick for a guy that's above average to plus tools across the board. I think he's going to bounce back and, and really demolish double a pitching like, like you mentioned and gets a triple a pretty quick.
1: I, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but there are two things in college that are very different. Than in the pros metrically. And I'm thinking of one on a, a hitting basis and one on a pitch by pitch basis. Hitting, do you know what I'm thinking of? Like simply, they use wood in pro ball, they use yeah. metal in college ball. So the EVs are going to be higher. Oh, the EVs are always juiced. They're always juiced. So you see like 120s from Jack Caglione when like those are actually probably 115s. <laughs> yeah, 113s, <laughs> 114s. One, one one 14s, one 14s, yeah. Know yeah. The, the other thing, pitching-wise, what's different about this baseball in college than it is in pro ball? That's
2: interesting. I actually don't know the answer to that question. Higher seams. I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah. The NPB has higher seams. So you see oh, that makes sense. Leagues. I mean, everybody has higher seams in the big
1: leagues. Everybody has higher seams. So yeah. spin is going to be a little crazier. And 95 in college? If it's the same
2: shape, I think we'll play a little bit better than 95 in the lower levels of the minor leagues. Well, and he got spun to death. I mean, they they didn't even want to pitch to him at all. And it was just slider, 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 slider. So and it's way yeah. easier to rip things off at 3000 with those higher seams. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. So I, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do. And again, seven is really just because of the performance of other guys. But I mean, seven's pretty good place to be. Yeah. Moving on to number six, guy who's still playing right now. Not really, but kind of in that bench emergency pinch runner type He's hanging role. hanging out. He's hanging out. Great experience for him. Jordan Waller. <laughs> Jordan Waller, shortstop, Arizona Diamondbacks, sixth overall. I, look, I, I, I loved him in terms of what he could do in A so quickly at, to the point where it was like, okay, no matter what happens in the big leagues, I'm, I don't care. I figured it might be a little bit rough. It's probably a little bit rougher than I thought it was going to be. But he also had this like sporadic playing time, platooning against lefties, team in the hunt. And honestly, I got, I got some in-person looks. I got to go catch him at Wrigley. I just thought he was trying to do too much. It just seemed like he got away from himself because this is a guy that walks with the best of them. For a guy as, as, as fast as he is, he has no business walking as much as he does, but he runs a chase rate below 20% above average field to hit drives the ball in the air and just kind of makes a living off of grinding at bats and running into mistakes and just driving balls in the gap and working his walks. And I felt like he got away from that in oh, the at bats that I saw him professional er, at the big league level. And that's normal. He was 21 years old and got brought up to a team that let their veteran go, you know, and Nick Ahmed crying on his way out, understandably. So it was a very emotional moment, but then it's like, all right, kid, that guy was our heart and soul. Now you got to step in here, and it was a tough spot for him. Uh, I thought the glove looked great overall, and I think this is really valuable experience for him, both from the end of the regular season and into the you know postseason, just to be there. But yeah, to me, I just saw a guy that was trying to do too much.
1: Let's do some jigsaw puzzling though before we actually break into Lawler Opening Day 2024. How are we handling this?
2: It's got to be Lawler it's short. Over Perdomo? Yeah. An all star. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think you gotta, man. I I know Perdomo went yard and I uh, get we'll see how he does. I mean, it hasn't been a great postseason overall for him. No. I, I think you gotta go with Lawler. You know, maybe you can platoon it a little bit, like you give Perdomo spot starts if you want to just keep that insurance policy. Uh is Longoria's contract up? It might be. I think Longoria's is up, but God, I would hate Perdomo at third base. Yeah. Would um, kind of stink. So it's interesting. I, 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 I think you got to go. I think you got to go. Waller short. I think so. But I mean, you could you could do lawler at third. That'd be one of the best left sides of the infield in baseball. But I just think you're getting more bang for your buck with this type of profile at mm-hmm. shortstop. And that's that guy's supposed to be the face of your franchise, you know, and supposed to be that that guy that kind of helps take you to the next level um, and and continue to build, you know, alongside the other the other key pieces in the core. Like, of course, Corbin's the face, but. I'm looking at a Mount Rushmore of young faces. And number two for me is Jordan Waller. I and mean, he put that gallon in there. But I think position yeah. players are kind of in a different, you know, different breed. I, I see the Mount Rushmore of, you know, young franchise faces. It's Waller. It's it's obviously Corbin Carroll. It's Gabby Moreno. You yeah. Know, and, and of course, Ketel Marte, who's not as young, but still doesn't look like he's going anywhere anytime soon. I think he's played shortstop and that's where he's going to be really valuable, even if the, the bat isn't all the way there next year.
1: Yeah, if Lawler was at third base, I, it was a it was an historically great defense this year. They would shatter records next year. Yeah. Gabby It'd catching Walker, Cattell, Perdomo, Lawler, and then the outfield of Thomas, Carroll, and McCarthy, or whoever else you want in the corner. Like, yeah. holy shit, that would yeah. be nuts. Uh, Lawler is an amazing defender. I love watching him defend. It's smooth. Yeah. He showed that off in his big league cameo. Um, I think the way that this guy gets comfortable is you give him everyday ABs next yep. year, and he's totally deserving of everyday ABs. It, it This year was amazing in the way that he separated from Meyer because he is a victim of that, much like Meyer is a victim of that, and Cruz and Lankford are going to be victims of that for a long time, where you compare the two perpetually. You compare... Derrick Henry and Kenyon Drake, because they shared a backfield at Alabama. And how do you think Kenyon Drake feels right now? Yeah. Like, it's that kind of thing. So, you know, hopefully that frees up the mindset of both Lawler and Meyer, where they're not racing somebody that they're probably friends with. Um, and that's probably a narrative created, created by, like, the prospect industry and the media. Yeah, But um, – Lawler's ability to separate from the rest of that high school draft class was
2: very impressive this year. And, and that comes from the approach and field to hit and, and then, of course, the speed and defense. But the approach and field to hit, I think, was the like, kind of separating factor of how quickly he could just get rolling and, and be if ready he's to go. he
1: got that, too, then, yeah. you know, because he always had the advantage in the speed and defense department. If he looks comparable or slightly better,
2: then it's game over. 100%. Last thing I'll say with him, though, and this is just the one concern on the other side, because, again, we're looking at, you know, a guy that should perpetually be, if he hits the way you can hit, a four to five win player, at a shortstop. Like, that's the ceiling. You know, that's what you're hoping for. But, you know, and, and then there's a real scenario where even if he's not that, he's still a three win player every year, you know, where it's like, ah, oh, we were hoping for more, but that's a very valuable piece. The The one thing that I think can separate him or at least put him over the top is, The breaking balls. So he has a pretty steep swing and which it, it like it's one of those things where I feel like it's good that. And I always say steep. It should actually be the other way around. Right. Where he's he's gearing for lift. Yeah. So you have a guy that's gearing for lift pretty frequently. And I think that's good because the exit velocities are just a tick above average. But when you are kind of gearing for that lift, you can sometimes get in and out of the zone a little too quickly sometimes pull off of those breaking balls or just kind of get over them. And that's what I saw sometimes. I just felt like he was trying to lift a ball that was kind of breaking downwards and just the path. It was just in and out too quickly. You got to kind of enter it a little bit earlier and stay through it and be able to kind of back up that breaking ball. And it, it wasn't really much of an issue because he would take all of the balls that missed, like again, ran a sub 20% chase rate on breaking balls and crushed teeters as, as well as anybody. But I think a big reason why we saw him crush lefty so well is all of those breaking balls are breaking towards you. That's why you had these video game numbers against lefties. They're breaking towards you and he's able to kind of meet under it. But when you have that hard breaking ball breaking away from you, all of a sudden the inefficiencies in the path become magnified. And I thought that's kind of what happened and and what he's working through. That's something that I'm sure they'll they'll be able to help him get to the bottom of because, again, that's a very specific nitpick on what is everything else is pretty much good to go. But that's what's going to hold him back, I think, from being – the offensive force he can be um, And and this year Trying to take out like the minor league Or excuse me the, the big league games But um, Sub 700 OPS against breaking Balls which is very common and he hits Changeups good and, and, and hits fastballs Really well so that's just the one thing I'm Monitoring Yep. Number five as we enter the Top five here's another guy playing in the postseason Right now I mean Evan Carter outfielder with the Texas Rangers and, you know, very well could get a chance to play in the world series. We'll see, you know, don't, don't sleep on the Astros, but I mean, what Evan Carter has done this postseason, we've talked about it. We, we broke it down in the, you know, prospects performing in the postseason episode. It's just been so incredible to see what this guy can do. Uh, They have sheltered him from lefties, understandably. So because he struggled against lefties this year in the regular season in the minors. And then when he got up to the big leagues, they didn't have him face lefties because he was there to help them make the playoffs and help them make a run. So they put him in positions of success and he succeeded. And yep. it's interesting because it's like, what's the difference between Waller and Evan Carter and being able to I mean, make this adjustment to the big leagues? And I think the biggest difference has just simply been Evan Carter didn't stray from who he was or what his approach is at all. I told so Jordan Waller seemed like he was trying to do a little bit too much. Evan Carter has been selective. I have not seen a young hitter lay off of balls, one ball off, two balls off with so much nonchalance. And just like, not like it's just, it's so easy. He's seeing the ball so well right now. And he just waits, man, like he's yanking everything. And I told you, I'm concerned about that over 162. Like he is pulling everything, but he is waiting and waiting and waiting. And then when he gets that pitch that he can yank, he is not missing it. And you can succeed that way. My concern is, like, you know, for his ceiling of, you know, potential perennial all-star, you got to be able to use the whole field a bit more. you got to be able to, you know, back up the baseball a little bit more. But this guy is leaning into his strength, not, not deviating at all, and he is playing unbelievably well. Makeup off the charts, feel for the game off the charts, tools are good, and we're seeing the product of that already.
1: And oh, by the way, he's playing the best left field that we've got in the postseason. He's playing an amazing left field. Yeah. Incredible. It's, I was reading a really good feature from Jim
2: Callis at MLB.com about Carter that mm-hmm. was published last week. Did you read that? I read I read snippets of it. I didn't get to read the whole thing, but it was it's the gist of like how unknown he was, right?
1: Yeah, so a really fun aspect of it was they embedded the MLB Network coverage of the 2020 draft when he was taken 50th overall. And they throw to Carlos Collazo, who does great work at Baseball America. And that guy is more well-versed on every oh draft God. guy after the top 30 as anyone. And he's like, he, he just put out a couple generic one-liners and was like, yeah, you know, we don't know much about this guy. He wasn't on the BA top 500. He wasn't on the pipeline top 300. And they, they just kind of bounced around and nobody knew anything about him. <laughs> and everybody was like, yeah, a bit surprised that they went with him at 50. And then they get to Dan O'Dowd who is really good on TV and he said the only reason I know this guy is because you know my my son plays in Tennessee and and I saw him at a showcase and there are a couple of guys each year that I see in each draft class and and I think yeah they would benefit from going to college and this was a guy that I think should have gone to college that was the draft coverage of Evan Carter going 50th uh, and there was a great aspect of that piece where you know Callis there were a couple of paragraphs where he was explaining like who he is as like a student. And he was the valedictorian as at a uh, Elizabethton high school in Tennessee. Instead of playing travel ball, like all day, every day during the summertime, he would still play travel ball and go to like some showcases, but he would shadow dentists and take <laughs> college courses because he wanted to be an endodontist. He wanted to do root canals after he was done at Duke. Oh, man. And now he's the number five prospect in baseball. And lighting the ALDS and ALCS on fire.
2: I it's so wild because I didn't realize how obscure he was in the draft process until I was talking with a couple of buddies that went to Duke. Evan Carter was committed to play at Duke. And they were mentioning because you know Duke now has become such a a strong program thanks to Chris Pollard that you know they recruit a lot of the top guys and they lose guys to the draft every year. Jordan Walker, you know, is a notable guy that they lost to the draft, but they lose guys every single year uh, that never make it to campus. And what I was told by a couple of players who like, were talking about Carter's success and how amazing it was, is that Pollard had said something along the lines of he would have been like 12th on the list of most likely in his mind of who would have been signed out of high school. Like in terms <laughs> of which of his recruits he was worried about not reaching campus, Evan Carter was like 12th because of just, you, you get a sense, right? You get a feel of what the market is on this guy and you start to see all the lists and you, you know, you see the buzz and you're like, OK, well, I haven't seen one person talk about Evan Carter. He's definitely coming to campus and he never did. And and that was apparently like one of the biggest shocks to the Duke coaching staff, not for like a bad reason. They just were like, whoa, good for Evan Carter. You know, like they had no idea. Like that was a guy that was fully expected to be there. And I mean, imagine if this guy did go to college. Also, imagine if Jordan Walker and Evan Carter went to Duke. Yeah, because <laughs> like, also Jordan Walker he was closer to going to college than a lot of people may think like his, both his parents went to Ivy league schools and he was very keen on getting a good education and playing college ball. Like there was a chance if that price tag wasn't met, I mean, they paid him a lot that he could have went to college, which would have been hilarious. But back to the Evan Carter point, I mean, it's, it's plus hit it's above average raw power. I think it ultimately settles on average game power, which is, you know, 20 home runs, I think at this point, I think that's what you can call average game power with a plus hit tool is just about 20 home runs. He might have seasons where he has 25, I think. And maybe this is a guy, though, too, that could grow into more power as he gets older. And again, I'll bring up Yelich twice in a podcast. Yelich got up to the big leagues quick because he was polished and a great hitter. Six four controlled his long levers well. But the power didn't really come until year three, four or maybe year five. Yeah, Evan Carter could be that similar case. He's tall, he's long, he's a good athlete. He's got a good feel to hit, but the power may come later. So this is a tough guy to put like a a a power grade on because I think it could progress to plus maybe three four years when he's twenty five. (laughs) Yeah, you know that's very possible.
1: This is. Kip Fag is the scouting director for the Texas Rangers, F-A-G-G. Mm-hmm. And he is one of the more well-respected, like, scouts in all of baseball. And he's been That's the scouting right. director for the Rangers for a good bit. This is his finest hour. Oh, and yeah. this was when John Daniels was at the helm. This is tip of the cap to John Daniels. I, oh, yeah. It feels like it's impossible for this guy not to gain a little weight, not to gain a little strength. He looks very, like, thin now, I think. Um, yeah, but he's wiry, yeah, he's wiry. i I think there's a lot more juice in the tank than what we're seeing, and we're already seeing enough juice Underslot in the second
2: round, by the way, too. incredible, amazing. and then Ranger Ranger, we got another one here. and uh, I, you know I'm not gonna give uh, I'm not gonna give Kip credit for this one, but um this was this was a blessing of all blessings. Number four is Wyatt Langford outfielder with the Texas Rangers. I mean, it's so unfair that they also got this guy. But you know, we've talked about Lankford's debut, pro debut so much on the show already. We probably don't even need to spend as much time on Lankford. But above average hit, plus power, that probably going to be plus plus. And then the run times, man. He was giving us plus run times as well. I, I His swing, that's a guy where when you watch him go, it's like he's got it. You know, like he's already figured it out like this. And and I think it is evident in the way that he was able to basically just seamlessly transition into each level. The swing works. The approach was always good. The power is ridiculous. And he's just got it. And he's just going to have it all the way up to the big leagues. There's nothing that needs to change. I don't think there's much that needs to develop other than just learning the ropes and seeing more pitches. But. I think he could break camp. Like I don't really need, I don't see anything that he really needs to improve upon other than the defense. And if that's the one thing that they want to like cite, you know, I would understand that his reads in the outfield are kind of eh, but he has the closing speed. He has the ability to, you know, I think improve out there. It's pretty amazing what this guy is, is already doing. And I mean, he he's big league ready. I really, I really think he already is. I have no notes. Um,
1: I hope. After his first big league homer, he counts to four because or I guess counts to three because there were three teams that passed on him. (laughs) Um, But he's not like that. He's a quiet, very nice person that just happens to have 40 homer potential. I I think he's amazing. And uh, I think he should be starting in the outfield for the Rangers on opening day next year.
2: Well, that's talk about a headache of a of like a. Roster situation there, trying to project to where all all of the cards, you know, line up. That's that's one that I I don't even totally know how that's all going to look. But they, it's trouble in paradise for them, which is yeah. I mean, it's pretty cool. Uh, I'll mention this and then we'll move on to the next guy because, like you said, there's not that much more to really dissect here with somebody like Wyatt Langford. We get a pretty sizable sample size here of professional baseball because he played all the way up to AAA and got rolling right away. 46 games, if you include the playoffs, this dude ran a 90th percentile exit velocity of 107 zone contact rate of 86%, which is really solid chased at 18% and walked more than he struck out ground ball rate of 36%, showing you that he's consistently lifting the ball home runs to all fields and he motored like he could run. He stole some bags, but also just had some infield hits. Like it was just everything, dude. Like he did. You cannot find one red flag in the underlying data. You watch him hit; it's a swing that, as I mentioned, is is ready to go. Like there's not a single thing that needs to be changed. And I'm pretty sure he flashed a one twelve already. And I, I bet you he has a one fifteen in him. Like with with wood, I'm sure that's coming. So, I mean, this guy, it's. It's very real that he has MVP upside and maybe should be ahead of the next two or three guys that we're going to talk about. But the other three are so young and so good already. I'm trying
1: to do the puzzle right now. I think Adolis in right, Carter in center, Lankford in the left, Tavares is the fourth outfielder, and you wave goodbye to Jankowski and Grossman?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely do that.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that's probably how you do it. Like you could trade Leote for someone awesome, but I don't think you should, if you have a four person, you know, divide and conquer. Yeah. Outfield and situation, the, And they can rotate right.
2: through the DH cause they're going to lose Garver. Um, there's ways that, you know, I think they can kind of keep guys in the lineup and stuff like yeah. that too. And Langford will probably see some DH action because again, their outfield defense is good with the names that you mentioned. And, you know, Langford, that's where he needs a little bit of work. Yeah. I was going to uh, say, Oh, Adolis has a ton of power. He should DH. Adolis is an amazing, amazing right corner field. outfielder, man. <laughs> uh, tough. It's the, the offensive profile reminds me of Paul Goldschmidt. It really does. Yeah. And, I, and, and that's the ceiling. Like that's what you dream on and the best outcome, but that's what, that's what it reminds me of. And and the build reminds me of, of Goldie too. And the athleticism, I mean, don't people sleep on how athletic Goldie was. He still is. Yeah. Number three, Jackson Chorio. Uh, I think you could interchange these guys. It's really tough because Chorio with the Milwaukee Brewers has multiple years until he's Wyatt Langford's age, right? Wyatt Langford turns 22 in, I think, a few weeks. Whereas Jackson Chorio would have been 18 at the start of the season. Is still 19 years old now. I mean, it's pretty insane. Surface level numbers for Chorio were not as insane as some of the other guys that we're talking about in this top 10 but i'm really glad i got another in-person look at him he just looks as good as ever i saw above average hit the, the raw power for a guy of his size is, is insane rotational explosion i mean it is twitchy 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 and then speed talked about it in the last episode i was getting three three eights to first base i mean he flies and the glove continues to get better i think he Probably settles in a corner, can play center in a pinch, but this dude has the potential to be like a cunha light. You know, I don't think he's gonna hit the ball as hard consistently because Acuna's got that like generational blend of power and speed. We're talking about plus plus runner and a guy that produced a 90th percentile exit velocity of 106. And he's 19, so maybe he grows into even more power. It's that kind of skill set, though. So
1: he's gonna be in big league camp and he'll make a big league camp. Appearance before March 11th, I think. So that'll be his age. He'll still be 19 years old. He'll turn 20 on March 11th. So he will be a big league spring training guy when he's 19 years old. Yeah. Um, th- there's so much to love about this guy. And 22 homers in Biloxi. Do you think that the power is actually like 30 homer threat? Because I know I he hasn't necessarily showed it in, I don't want to say like, in full throat because he did. But Biloxi is a very hitter friendly ballpark.
2: Yeah, no, it definitely is. I do think he has that, though. I mean, there's some home runs he hit just on a line to dead center that were ridiculous the other way that were ridiculous. It's just right now he eats putting the ball on the ground a bit too much. And it's a tough line because you can put it on the ground and beat him out a lot. I watched him do it. And then you also want him to tap into that power he's got to figure out how to cut that ground ball rate down. I think it was over 50%. So that's the one area, but in terms of, of bat speed exit velocity. And when he gets one, like it's 30 home run juice. It's just, is that going to be the profile that he leans into? And does he make some adjustments to drive the ball in the air more consistently? Yeah. I'm going to give him a little bit more time before I say, okay, maybe it's not in the cards for him because in terms of raw power, thirties in the cards, but you know, if he's one of those guys that ends up just hitting it hard on the ground and line drives more often, then yeah, maybe the profile is a little bit different, but That's a guy that'll get away with a high ground ball rate, you know, because there's guys that have 50 to 52, 53% ground ball rates that slug. And I think Chorio can be one of those guys, but it's hard to hit 30 home runs and hit the ball on the ground that much. That's the one thing there. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's superstar potential and he's still got plenty of development to go and he looked very comfortable in AAA. Yeah.
1: Uh, It's it's going to happen in AAA. That's the thing. And like some development can still happen in the big leagues.
2: A hundred percent. It's another guy that he could get to the big leagues and still be working through things and then find it later in terms of just how to get the ball in the air a bit more consistently and, and be, you know, the, the 30, 30 threat that he can be. Yep. Number two, junior Caminero. And I mean, we got to see him up at the big leagues at the end of the year. That was a pleasant surprise with the Rays. They were pretty desperate. He held his own. He finished very strong Uh, and he got playoff reps (laughs) And that's a testament to him, a little bit of testament to the situation in, in Tampa. But overall, this season was insane. I mean, or, 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 what, what was the what was the double-A slash on? Do you have that up in front of you? Yeah,
1: 81 games. He slashed 309, 373,
2: 548, which is a 921 OPS. Yeah, I mean, and that was like he was raking before, you know, they got rid of the tact balls, then after the tact balls. You take all of the minor league games this year, 323, 384, 584 slash line. I mean, 31 home runs, one that went over the scoreboard that was just light tower power. He yeah. popped a 117 this year, 90th percentile exit velocity of 110. I, it's just remarkable. And guess what? 50% ground ball rate. That continued to get cut as the year went on. And you know, it started to hit the ball in the air a bit more consistently. But this dude hits the ball so hard to all fields. And you, you, you fee- you'd think there'd be more whiff there because of the moving parts. No problem making contact. He cut the whiff as the year went on as well. And over the last 50 games, and that's including – or so last 50 games in the minor leagues before the, the promotion, yeah. 16% strikeout rate, 9% walk rate. You have that while also having 30 to 40 home run power. That's a special, special, special bat.
1: This arc is, I don't want to say never-before-seen because Orion Kirkery went from low A to the big leagues, but he was you know traded from Cleveland to Tampa in a 40-man crunch. It was Tobias Myers. Then it was complex and a taste of low A. And then he went and played for the Perth Heat in the Australian Winter League. Put up crazy numbers out there. Crazy numbers, hit over 300 at a 980 OPS. Mm -hmm. He was teammates with Pete Cosma and Josh Reddick. He was sharing lineups with Pete Cosma and Josh Reddick and now he's the number 2 prospect in the game and was playing in the wild card series less than a year later. That's a crazy rise.
2: Rookie of the year favorite one of next year unless I'm forgetting someone that Ian Langford well you're going to have Evan Carter too. He's probably going to be the betting favorite but I'd go with Camenaro I think over I think, over Carter. Langford I would go with Langford. Yeah, if he gets the run yeah, it's gonna be fun. That's gonna be a fun episode when we start previewing that stuff because there's a crop of players that are gonna get looks next year. And the next guy we're gonna talk about is gonna get a look too. Like there's gonna be several guys that get looks that are in the top top of our prospect list. But last thing I wanted to mention here is a lot of people have questions about the glove. And I, I understand that through the lens of like, is he a shortstop? But he plays a passable third base. And if you don't believe that, like the, the race stuck him at shortstop in the big leagues down the stretch. Doesn't mean he's a great shortstop, but if you can't play a passable third base, if you don't have a defensive position, they're not sticking you at shortstop at the big league level. Jonathan Aranda ain't playing short. Uh, you know, so I wanted to clarify there too. Like He can play a solid third base, and that really elevates the profile because it's potentially 80 power. It's a, at least average hit, and he's a decent athlete. So this guy could be an absolute force. And it's similar to Yandy Diaz. Maybe not his high contact rates, But he's just going to, even if he doesn't hit the ball in the air as much as you'd like to see, he hits it so hard that it's going to be a hit more often than not. And his bad is just going to be higher than everybody's. So hopefully he hits the ball in the air a little bit more because if he does, he can hit 40 home runs. Yeah. Last but not least, wonder who number one was, right? It's the guy who's a teenager and yet somehow dominated through levels where he was six years younger than everybody else. Jackson Holliday, shortstop, Baltimore Orioles, number one pick in 2022 and really has just not stopped being incredible since he got drafted and climbed up each level. I thought maybe a triple he'd finally just kind of get picked apart a little bit by guys that are way older than him. He had a little bit of a slow start and then just finished insanely well and ended up with a really solid triple A stretch as well. It's unbelievable the feel that this guy has for the game because he's so far from a finished product. And that's the part that I don't think people realize. there's a lot more power in there. The swing, like there's even moves that I think could be a little bit more efficient. You can see that front side leave bat drags a little bit, but his adjustability and his feel for the barrel is so good that even when his front side leaves and the bats dragging, he can still whip it and drive it the other way with authority or yank one, you know, over the right fielder's head. But there's like final things to be tweaked here where he's going to be even better. And that's the scariest part. And he's also going to physically mature. So I mean, this guy is the best prospect in baseball because of what he did on the field. He's the top prospect in baseball because of what he is going to do, which is there is so much more in there. And that is terrifying, exciting, all of the above. Guess the other thing that jumps out to me, all of the
1: above for sure. But I guess the other thing that jumps out to me is the only thing that looks 12 years old is his face. (laughs) Yeah. Like he's got biceps already, man. Like he's he doesn't have a big league build yet. But the fact that he's 19 and he's hitting 350 at any stop you put him at, like it's impossible to hold him away from the big leagues for too long.
2: He's going to debut next April at the end of April. I'll Uh, stamp that. And you know what? He's going to look even better. Is that's the thing is 19 to 20. This is a, you know, it's like that freshman, sophomore, like the freshman, sophomore summer of college. like yeah. You're maturing a lot. And also you're working on things. I mean, the amount of things that he's probably learned through this professional season, even though he dominated the amount of things he learned uh, and now can go to the drawing board and continue to build off of and, and work with his brother now, who's also a freak. They have a swing account. I saw that. I was
1: going to say, is his, is his brother like this good? He might be. He's taller. I think he, than he is. He he's might be. He's
2: four. I mean, holy hell. And that is the insane part about this. So you have, and again, another hitter now too ahead of his years approach. I mean, sub 20% chase right here. Uh, The contact rates are good. Not, you know, not on the like elite elite range, but really good. Especially as the season progressed, it got better and better over the final 50 games ran an 85% zone contact rate. But you blend that with just certain guys just have the feel to find the gaps and find the holes and, and that's what Holiday does. It's just one of those things where I think ninety nine percent of hitters, even even a lot of big league hitters, most big league hitters, they can't really control where they put it. You know, like I don't think certain guys can can just do that. Certain, like very few can, in terms of just having that feel to find the gaps and find the space. And Holiday just has that with the bat. It's just this innate ability that isn't going to really show up in the zone contact range or whatever like those numbers are always gonna be great but i think he's always gonna be better than what any underlying metrics gonna show you because he just has this ability to do things that don't really show up which is just find the gaps and like the only way you're gonna see that is BABIP, and people always use BABIP as like a discounter it's but invite, certain guys yeah. just maintain high BABIPs. this is a dude that's just gonna maintain a high BABIP, and that's without him hitting the ball as hard as i think he's going to right his 90th percentile exit velocity this year was like 102 and a half That'll be at 105, I think, by the time he gets to the big leagues and gets settled in. Just like, there's there's a couple he... more ticks in there.
1: Yeah, just because he finishes puberty, like he
2: doesn't need to lift a weight and it's going to climb to 105. Yeah. Man. So I mean, if people are wondering why Holiday's the consensus number one guy is, he's doing this in 19 and he's going to get a lot better, which is scary because he's already one of the best hitters in the minor leagues.
1: So can I ask you what? would need to improve
2: to make him like truly the perfect prospect i'd say power power and defense so you know i want to see him get into a little bit more more juice um and that's going to come so but that's the one thing is you'll get the home run output like it was fine but again the evs you can see that they're yeah. they're fine uh and then defensively you know it's going to get there yeah, I have no concern that it's going to get there. So but if the you want to be a perfect prospect, like that's got to be there. Right. Something that I don't think is like for sure going to be there is we'll see the defense. I think yeah. I think it will. I think he will be a plus defender. That's what I have. But like, how often do you see a forty-five present sixty? Never. Defense? I was going to say like I I never see a fifteen-point jump from you. That's a wide discrepancy because I watch him have great footwork. I watch him with a good arm. I see his instincts of the, in, in the game overall, but he gets sped up at short sometimes. It, some guys just don't have the, the hands to be the, this, you know, perennial gold glove type of shortstop. Um, he might. I think he, he very well could. I think that's the one area that's missing, though, right now is just like the reads and the comfort at short is still a work in progress. But again, he was seeing balls coming his way that on the defensive side of things, most guys his age have no business seeing balls hit that hard at him. Uh, just seeing the game go that fast. He was able to handle that in the box, which is insane. Most guys can handle it in the field and not in the box. But I thought for him, maybe he was almost outrunning himself developmentally in the batter's box versus the field. So when he got to double A and triple A, the game just seemed a little quick for him defensively. And I think it'll slow down as he gets more reps. Gotcha. That'll do it. That is the top 10 prospects in our end of season update for 2023. We will shift to the team top prospect list now moving forward. And, and that's always fun in the offseason. Definitely going to do a better job of getting those all out. We're going to adjust kind of the way they go out. So we'll be more efficient and get those out more consistently. But very excited to transition to that side of things. Arizona Fall League coverage. Going to have that coming up in the next week or so. So looking forward to that as well. Again, you can check out this article linked in the episode description and stay tuned for a lot more offseason content, player interviews and recaps on a lot of different players this year and and what we're looking forward to going into next season. As always, thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you next week. Have a great weekend.